So, Father God, would you speak to us now from your word? We've spoken to you in worship. We've told you how much we love you. We've professed that we are going to run to you. Now, Lord God, having heard from us, we need to hear from you. So, Lord God, speak a word, deposit a word into our hearts and lives. Speak, Lord, for we, your people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. Uh, as you're turning there, let me also say um, for our young adults meeting, we'll just meet together for a few minutes, as Jack said, in the, uh, in the chapel. And uh, we're going to say it's 18 to 30-ish. And uh, so we're, we're not going to card at the door. But um, if you feel young adult at heart, you can come to the, to the meeting. Joshua chapter 4, this is week 5 of our series as we've been walking through the book of Joshua. First week was an introduction, and then second week was week 1, so on and so forth. Let me read to us the word of the Lord found in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel." Make note of these two verses, that this, verse 6, may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan till everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gab and the half Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, verse 16, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day. Now, this is, this is interesting. Make a note of this. On the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at 
Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was talking to a friend recently, and they were saying that um, they have a friend who, who just came through a bout with cancer. And praise God, they made it through this bout with cancer. But on their last day at the hospital, uh, when they were given this clean bill of health, the, um, the hospital didn't just want them to leave as if nothing had happened. The hospital recognized that they had just come through a difficult battle, and so this particular hospital has a tradition called ringing the bell. What they wanted this person to do was, now that you've come through this incredible obstacle, we want you to mark the moment by ringing the bell. This, I suppose, does two things. One, I think it's a reminder to the person that, that you just came through the impossible. And you, you made your way through it. The Christian worldview would say God got you through it. God saw you through it. And you've now gotten to the other side of it. So, so this ringing of the bell is, is their way of marking that moment. But I imagine that the hospital also wants them to ring the bell because... Quite possibly, in earshot, are other cancer patients who haven't made it to the other side yet. They're going through their own challenge and difficulty. And so, when they hear a cancer patient ringing the bell, signifying, I've made it through, I've made it to the other side, I've, I've gotten through this thing, then those who are still in the midst of their own proverbial Jordan Rivers... That encourages them. That inspires them. It's, it's as if they now have wind in their, in their sails. And it's as if they're saying, if, if they can make it through, then, then maybe I can keep on going. Ring the bell. In our passage, God says in so many words, now that you've gotten through the Jordan River, we want you to stop and ring the bell. There's one word that sums up Joshua chapter 4. It is the word remember. In the previous weeks in our series, we've, we've talked a lot about Jordan Rivers. And we said a Jordan River isn't just something that happened to the people of God millennia ago. That Jordan Rivers continue to exist today and not just overseas in the Holy Land. They, they exist in every person's life. In fact, we, we made the point that a Jordan River is, is anything that I can't get through on my own, in my own strength, and with my own resources. 
A Jordan River could be a health crisis. A Jordan River could be a financial crisis. A Jordan River could be a relational crisis. It could be, how do I get through betrayal? And how do I, how do I get through that season with my kids? A Jordan River is anything that your PhD can't get you out of, the money in your bank account can't get you out of, your social network can't fix. It, it is, it is something that you've got to lift up your, your eyes into the hills from which cometh your help, knowing that, that your help on this one can only come from God. So all of us have Jordan rivers. We're all either facing a Jordan, in the middle of a Jordan, or having just come through a Jordan. We all have Jordan rivers. Now, if I've got a bone to pick with the church, it's this. I think the church, Big C Church, has done a phenomenal job throughout church history talking about how to make it through your Jordan rivers, how to get through your storms. Do these five things to get through the crisis. Do these seven things to, to get through that tough season. We talk a lot about that. But my problem with the church is we don't really talk a lot about, now what do I do once I get through? Amen. Whatever the, <laughs> Bless the Lord for that child. What do I do once I get through? What, see, see, our text is, is concerned. God is saying, now that you've gotten through, it's important for you to stop and in your own way, ring the bell. Now, why is this important? It's important because if you don't make a proactive attempt to remember the faithfulness of God when he gets you through, you will contract spiritual amnesia. And two side effects of spiritual amnesia, one is pride. If you forget, no, nah, it wasn't you who got you through, it was God who got, got you through. If you forget that, then you're going to be a proud, arrogant person who the punchline to every story you tell is about you and your resilience and your resources and the fact that you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, not realizing, sweetheart, that it was God who gave you the boots. And so if you don't make a proactive attempt to actually remember, document, and codify the faithfulness of God in your life, you will become arrogant. But there's another side effect to spiritual amnesia. One, you can become arrogant, but, but if you don't remember, the other side effect is you can be gripped with a paralyzing fear when your next Jordan River comes along. I want you to understand, Jordan Rivers aren't one and done. You'll get through one, and before you can even catch your breath oftentimes... There's another one. Sometimes it feels like these bad boys just, they just come in, in pairs and threes and sixes. It just seems like they just have family reunions right there on your doorsteps. And they bring their cousins and Pookie and them and, and just camp out on your doorsteps. And here's the deal. If you don't document and remember the faithfulness of God who got you through your last Jordan River, then when the next Jordan River comes, you can be paralyzed with fear with worry, with anxiety, 
wondering, oh, how in the world is it? How am I going to make it through and popping Maylocks at night and can't sleep and all this other stuff? Because you've forgotten who got you through in the past, that'll make you worry and have anxiety in the present. But when you remember, no, he got me through that. And if he can get me through that, he can get me through this. Then I don't worry. There's a peace that passes all understanding. So God wants us to ring the bell. He is concerned not just in getting us through. He's also very concerned with what we do once we get through. So Joshua chapter 4, I just want us to unpack some very practical principles. Now, if there's one word I want you to write down, uh, either in the notes app of your, um, of, of your, of your device or, or write down the margins of your Bible, th- this one word canvases our whole story. It's the word remember. 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 Look back at verse 6. God says to them in Joshua chapter 4, verse 6, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come. He says, whoa. I mean, their feet have just gotten through. And he says, stop. Remember. Set up a sign. The idea of a sign here, it's the idea of a badge. In fact, the, the, closest, um, the closest kind of parallel we have to it is the insignia that soldiers wear. It is, it is something up close and personal. It is, it, it is, it is a memorial. It is, it is a reminder. God says, now that you've made it through, don't wait. Stop. Set up a sign in our text. Set up 12 stones. I want you to remember. Now, if you study your Bibles, here's, here's the thing that you got to understand about God. God is a God who's into remembering. Uh, we, we see him several times in the Old Testament when he moves in extraordinary ways. He tells his people, stop and build an altar. If you even see the way God organizes the nation of Israel, he organizes and structures them around feast days. Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Passover. These feast days weren't just times for celebration, but they were times to reflect back on specific faithful moves of God so that they would remember. God is a God who wants us to remember his moves, his faith in our lives. So God says, set up a sign. In fact, if you even look at our country, the United States of America, in just about every single major city, we, we do this. We set up our own 12 stones. They're, they're memorials. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I, I'll talk some more about that in just, in just a few moments. We, we were in Hawaii for the first time, and we went to Pearl Harbor. That's, that's a version of the 12 stones. Um, if We lived in New York for a while. There's the 9-11 memorial there, Washington, D.C. My goodness, you, you can't walk several blocks without bumping into a memorial, the African American uh, History Museum, the, uh, the Lincoln Memorial, so on and so so forth. We lived in Memphis, Tennessee for a while. They took the old Lorraine Motel, gutted it out, and made it the Civil Rights Museum. These are, these are stones of remembrance. Now, ultimately, they're not remembering God, but what, what these memorials do is they help to shape our collective memory and identity by causing us to look back to profound moments and hopefully giving us the courage to move forward so that we look back for the purpose of moving forward. By far the most, the most profound possession I have is, I'm 44, when I was 22, so half a lifetime ago, I got ordained into the ministry. 
uh, I passed a six-hour oral examination that my senior pastor took me through. Six hours grilling me on doctrine. Later on that evening, um, they did the service for me. And I'll never forget, 22 years old, August of 1995, uh, right there in Atlanta, Georgia. And right when we're walking in, my dad stops me and gives me his old Bible. It's a Bible that he bought in the early 1960s. I still have it to this day. It is a Bible filled with yellow pages. They are all of his notes. He started putting them together from the time he was a teenager, had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. And on the front of that page is a note that he'd written to me in August of 1995, calling me to remember the faithfulness of God and calling me to finish well in the ministry. There are times to this day when you just get discouraged. All of us do. You go through tough times. Every single time I go through a tough season in ministry, I reach to the shelf, pull off that Bible, turn to the front page, and read a note my father had written to me, August of 1995. That is a stone of remembrance. My youngest son, Jaden, is about to turn uh, 13 years of age. There's a tradition that my, my dad is the patriarch of our family. He does. When, uh, when his grandsons turn 13, two years before that, when they're 11, he buys a Bible with them specifically in mind. He'll preach out of that Bible for the next two years. He will uh, write in the margins of that Bible prayers that he prays for his, that specific grandson, and he'll just mark it up. And on their 13th birthday, he'll give them this well-worn Bible that he's used over two years. And I just got to tell you, I've seen it with Quentin and Miles. When Papa gives him that Bible, a stone of remembrance in which he's chronicled the faithfulness of God to the Loritz family and the margins of that Bible, my boys, they, they walk with a pep in their step and it just does something to them. What is that? It is a stone of remembrance that they will have for the rest of their lives. Now, here's what I want you to understand. If there's one takeaway I need you to get from this message, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what you have to get into the habit of. And there can be many different ways. You need to be in the habit of codifying, documenting, writing down the specific God movements and moments in your life. You need, you need to capture that. So I don't, I don't know if it's a prayer journal that you do. Um, I remember several years ago, one of the best books I've ever read on prayers by a guy named Paul E. Miller. It's called A Praying Life. The real gold of this, of this book is he gives us a, a wonderful system for praying. It's, it's his prayer cards. And I started using that system, been using it since 2010. All it is that you take a four by six prayer card. When someone comes to me and says, Pastor, can you pray for me? Take that prayer card, write their name on it, write the prayer request, write the date on it. And then I try to attach to it, write down, a corresponding scripture, because I don't want to pray my words. I want to pray the power of God's word. There's power in that word over the specific prayer request. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying and praying and praying and praying. Now, here's what happens. When God answers that prayer request, I don't throw that card out. I write in big, bold, red letters, answered, and I'll give the date. And I hold on to that bad boy. Why? Because if you are a believer, you will go through seasons of doubt. 
You will doubt the existence of God. You will doubt the goodness of God. You will doubt the faithfulness of God. Listen, let me put my business out on Front Street. I've got 10 years of formal biblical training. Bible college, masters, doctoral stuff. 10 years, and I still doubt from time to time. The best antidote to doubt is to pull out that prayer card. Pull out those prayer cards and just see answered, 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 answered. And then just kind of hear God say to you, still doubting? You have to listen to me. I don't want to sound sacrilegious. The word of God is enough. But sometimes, unless you do something to connect what God did 2,000 years ago to what he's doing in real time in your faith walk, you will doubt God. And you will stay embroiled in doubt. You have to codify it. You've got to write it down. Right now, I'm I'm doing a prayer journal thing, just kind of writing stuff down. And it just encourages me to see the faith. Just the other day, our family is celebrating. This friend we've been praying for 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 a long time has just come to faith in Jesus Christ. Blows our mind. And to be able to write down answer to that, these are stones of remembrance. So I think one of the best takeaways is maybe you need to run to Barnes & Noble after, after service or after the picnic. Get you a prayer journal or, or, or download an app. Do something. God is at work in your life. And when you see him move, capture it because you'll need to go back to it over and over again. Now, God says... I want you to remember. You have to ring the bell. Why? They've just crossed the Jordan. There's all these other nations waiting on them. They've got a lot more battles in front of them. And they need a record of the faithfulness of God in their life. You have a lot of battles in front of you. Should God tarry and not take you home, there are battles facing you. There'll be battles in your marriage, battles at work, uh, battles in your friendships, battles, battles, battles. And you need to set up memorials of being able to look back and say, God got me through that. He can get me through this. You need to stop riding off of Abraham's coattails and Daniel's coattails and Joshua's coattails and Big Mama's coattails. You need to have your own coattails. He says, I want you to remember why. He gives us three reasons why you need to remember. Look at verse 24. He says, here's why you need to remember. Verse 24, so that, so that, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Here's what God is saying. God is saying this. Here's why I want you to remember my faithfulness in your life. Not just Daniel's life. Not just Mary's life. Not just Paul's life. Not not just the, the disciples' life. Here's why you need to remember my faithfulness in your life so that the world may know. So we remember, watch it now, God's 
victorious moments in our life and we use God's victories in our lives as a powerful recruiting tool to the world to get them on God's team. Now, let me explain this to you. Yesterday, I was, uh, I was with my youngest. I'm, I'm the new guy here. I never heard of an Archbishop Mitty until I moved out here. Well, my youngest, is um, he loves playing basketball, and he just made it onto Archbishop Mitty's feeder team, uh, which I guess is a big deal. So Archbishop Mitty, their feeder team, all their practices are in Archbishop Mitty's gym. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in Archbishop Mitty's gym, but walking in there, you look up at the rafters and on the walls, there's all these championship banners. Uh, all these banners, uh, in fact, there's over 30 men's championship basketball banners. Now, this is ingenious. Watch this. Archbishop Mitty, like more, most sports teams, has the sense to go this. When we have a victory, we just ain't going to move on as if nothing happened. We're going to stop, ring the bell. And hang a banner. Now, why do they hang the banner? Part of that is an intimidation factor to opposing teams. We want you to know when you come up in here, you ain't playing no chumps. But they also hang the banner as a powerful recruiting um, 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 tool in order to get people who are on the outside on their team in the inside. Because people under, because Archbishop Mitty understands that one of the most effective recruiting tools is winning. Likewise, God is saying, when I win in your life, don't just move on as if nothing happened. Hang a banner. Mark the moment. That's why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say something. When I move in your life, tell somebody. Tell somebody in church, tell somebody outside of church. Why? Because I want you to remember, because remembering is powerful for the world. Secondly, though, we remember not just for the world, but we also remember for ourselves. Look, at, look back at verse 24. He says in verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Here it is, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Fearing, fearing the Lord is important. In fact, the book of Proverbs says that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. First Peter 2 tells us simply, we want you to fear the Lord. We are commanded to fear the Lord. What does that mean? Two things. It means, one, to hold in high esteem, honor, respect. But two, and we don't like this, it also means to have a literal afraidness. There's some things as a believer I should just be afraid to do because of the possible consequences. And God says, I'm good with that. In fact, the best equivalent kids, when you want to just, when you want to picture what the fear of the Lord should look like, it's your parents. Kids should hold their parents in high esteem. Which the challenge to me as a dad is, may I walk in such a way that I make it easy for them to hold me in high esteem? May, may I walk in integrity? May I walk in moral fortitude? So kids need to hold their parents in high esteem. That's why one of the Ten Commandments says that we are to honor our father and our mother that it may go well with us. 
God actually says there is a correlation between the length of your life and you honoring, which is a dimension of fearing your parents. In fact, there's actually a rule under the law for any child who was rebellious against their parents. Praise God, we're under grace, not under law. God actually says, stone them. Some parents may wish we could go back to the law. Uh, you got issues. Um, but also hear this, parents. It's, it's, it's actually good. And I, I just need to deposit this word in you because I see a lot of well-meaning parents, and I get it. You, you want to have a relationship with your kids. I understand it. But you also need to be reminded that your kid's not your peer, especially at age five, six, and seven. I'm seeing a lot of kids, hear me now, hear me now. I'm seeing a lot of kids being released into this world who have no respect for authority, who have no sense of a healthy boundaries with people because their precious parents were, were, were reasoning with them when they were two years old about whether or not they wanted to come to church. Preach, pastor. Preach, preach, preach. I know this is not a... uh, Listen, I'm not calling us to abuse this. But the house I grew up in, mama would say it. And if she was in a good mood, she might let you respectfully ask a question. But after that question, mom was like, do it. And you did it. We didn't have the timeout ministry in my house. We didn't have the go to your corner ministry in my house. But watch this. I got a great relationship with my parents. And when I left their house, I felt like they put me on a good trajectory with how to relate to people in authority. So he says, I want you to fear the Lord. Now, what does that mean for us? We remember for the world, we remember for us, the primary way you know you're fearing the Lord is obedience. So watch it. To remember, biblical remembrance is not just a cognitive exercise. I look back at the faithfulness of God in order to feed my actions going forward. One scholar says it this way. Will you look at it with me on the screen? He writes, the notion of remembering in Hebrew is more than a calling to mind. It involves a remembering with concern. It also implies loving reflection. And we're called for a a corresponding degree of action. To remember without action is not biblical remembrance. It's sentimentality. If you just remember, but there's no action, you're being sentimental. So my wife and I were in Pearl Harbor. We went there with a group of people, big big, big group of people was there and we we spent the morning there and man, it's just a, it's just kind of a heavy experience as you're just reflecting and looking back and uh, man, we had the tour guide who's giving us information. We read good stuff. We, uh, we, we got on the, the ferry and went over to the USS Arizona and we walked around and I mean, we just kind of reflected and reflected and reflected and reflected. And then finally, after a couple of hours, we got in our car and went home and nothing changed about us because of that experience. That's not biblical remembrance. That's being sentimental. And tragically, that's true of so many believers. You come to church on Sunday, you 
hear from a tour guide, you receive instructions, you hear the word, you sing some songs, you, you may feel some things, but if you get in your car and go home and nothing's changed about you, that's not biblical remembrance. That's just being sentimental. Biblical remembrance is a reflecting back to change my actions going forward. A couple months ago, I let my youngest boy wear some high heels. Now, don't judge me. The reason why I let him do that is uh, he got invited to participate in, um, in something called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. It was a march against domestic violence. We're good friends with the person who put it on. And the person who put that event on has been a victim of domestic violence. She's been beaten and abused. Now, watch this. Her remembering the abuse caused her to set up an organization that would combat domestic violence. Her remembrance feeds her actions. That's what it means to remember. I look back on how God has been faithful to me in past battles in Jordan rivers. Why do I do that? I'm not trying to ride the stories of people and the scriptures. I want to establish my own story. And I look back because I realize that there are other battles in front of me. So I look back and reflect on that so that it deepens my obedience and my faith and my trust in the battles going forward. That's why I do that. Thirdly, though, I remember not just for the world, not just for myself, but I also remember for my family. Look at verse six, that this, that this may be a sign among you when your children, when your children, when your children ask in time to come, mama, daddy, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Lord were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Now, here's what God is saying. These stones don't have inscriptions. Memorials today, historical landmarks today, they have inscriptions. You ever see one? You just read about what happened. These stones don't have inscriptions. They're huge stones. So you're walking along with your family. Here are these huge stones. Little daughter, little son pulls on your coattail, says, Mama, Daddy, what do these stones mean? God says, stop. Use it as a talking point and a tool to shape and disciple your family. I want you as a family to look back together on God's faithfulness and use that as a tool for spiritual formation going forward with your family. Parents, I want to just give you a word here. You are God's oral custodians of his faithfulness in your life to your family. That just, thank you, one brother, golf clap, appreciate you. That just as you go to a museum and you get a tour guide, either in person or you put the headset on, and that this tour guide tells you the who, what, when, where, why, how, and significance of the event. So parents are God's tour guides to their children of the faithfulness of God to their family. You tell your kids the who, what, when, where, why, how, and significance of the faithfulness of God in your life with the hope being that they hear that, take it, get confidence they need to follow Jesus Christ going forward. That's why moms, dads, 
especially dads, I want to be hard on you. You need to be the one to initiate family devotions. You don't need a seminary degree to do this. You don't need to know the Greek. You don't need to do the, know the, the, the Hebrew. You just need to be able to sit down and tell to your kids, he is sweet, I know. This is how God has been good to us. Let me share it with you. Let's open up a Bible. This ain't your pastor's job. It's not your youth pastor's job. It's not your growth group leader's job. It is your job. To pass on the goodness and faithfulness of God. Now, now here's a tragedy. There's a moving passage in Chronicles where they finally found the Torah, the law, the scriptures. And you know what Israel says? What's that? How do they go from Joshua crossing the Jordan to what's that? The nation broke down because the family broke down and the family broke down because they stopped passing on the stories of God. Families, we need you to gather together and to huddle around the word of God and to pass on stories of God's faithfulness to shape the generations to come. Now watch this. God says, I just brought you through. We're ending. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set up these stones of remembrance. Verse 19, he says, set them up in Gilgal. I love it. Last point. What is Gilgal? You can't understand the book of Joshua without understanding Gilgal. Gilgal is Jerusalem before Jerusalem. It is the headquarters of the people of God, the nation of Israel. In fact, if you just read through the book of Joshua, Gilgal is, is that place where they keep coming in and out of. The nation of Israel would go out on the battlefield, they'd fight the battle, then they'd come back to Gilgal to rest and recuperate and get the strength they needed to go back out on the battlefield. They'd come back to Gilgal and they'd get the instructions for the next battle. They'd come back to Gilgal. In fact, Gilgal was not just a place of gathering. It was also a place of consecration. This is where the men were circumcised. It's where they were set apart. It's where they were, they were, they were made holy unto the Lord. They came back to Gilgal from the battlefield. And when they came back to Gilgal, watch it. What did they see? They saw the 12 stones. So that when they came back to Gilgal... They remembered the faithfulness of God. They probably heard stories of God's faithfulness. Gilgal was not something they stayed at long term. It was just a place they went to for a few moments to get what they needed to go back out on the battlefield. They kept going in and out of Gilgal, hearing instruction, getting consecrated, remembering God's faithfulness, sharing stories of God's faithfulness. If you haven't put it together, Gilgal is church. It's a place where you need to come regularly. It's a place where you need to be gathered with the people of God. It's the place where you are reminded that you have been consecrated, set aside as holy unto God. It is a place where you should be encouraged, built up, equipped to get what you need to live back out there. There's a reason why God does not want the church to have bunk beds inside of it. You just get what you need here because the real battle is out there. And when you come to church, to Gilgal, you should hear stories as the band comes of God's faithfulness. 
You need to hear real-time stories and be reminded from other Christ followers who have just gotten through their own Jordan rivers. And you hear that stuff and something in you should say, if God did it for them, he can do it for me. Now, growing up, our church took this seriously. Now, they weren't that sophisticated about it. They, they didn't connect it to Gilgal. But, but I grew up at a time when you had testimony service. And testimony service is actually biblical. It is the saints getting up and testifying to the goodness of God. Now, sometimes the saints needed help because they said stuff they shouldn't have said. I remember one mother getting up, talking about how she wanted to praise the Lord for winning the lottery that week. And here was her tithe and pastor had to rebuke her. But I noticed he didn't give the tithe back, but that's another story for another time. So we got to be careful here, but I don't want to get so programmed and cue sheeted that there aren't moments where we can just stop and just say, saints, if you've just gotten through that Jordan river, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I remember being a little boy and hearing the mothers and the fathers of the church just get up and just share simple stuff. It'd be stuff like, hey, I didn't have money for a bus pass this week, but God provided money for me to get a bus pass this week. And you'd hear that and you'd be encouraged and you'd be strength. I hear another mother say, we, we just sent off our last daughter to Georgia Tech and we didn't know how tuition was going to be paid. But Jehovah Jireh has showed up and, and he's provided for her. And you hear that and, and, and there's something about that because we ain't talking just about Daniel. Praise God for Daniel. But sometimes you need to be reminded that God is not on the History Channel. He is still alive and at work in our lives. You need to hear stories of healing as you're going through your own sickness. If God has healed you, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Saints, we need to get in the habit of ringing the bell that God brings us through. There's a marriage that's on the brink. They're wondering if they can make it. And they've come to Gilgal today and someone can share from their own marriage. Yeah, we were on the brink, but, but God got us through our Jordan River. You, you, God, forgive us for being too busy not to stop and hear Gilgal stories. So typically we have prayer time and we, we do it way up top at the service. But I just felt like with where this message was going. That wouldn't it be powerful if we just carved out a moment and gave a few saints the opportunity to say, here's a Jordan River, and here's how God in his faithfulness got me through. Now watch this. We just had a sermon, so we don't need another one. A testimony where God is the hero, not you. God is the one we're celebrating in, not you. And it's brief, but it's clear and it's specific about how God got you through your own Jordan rivers. I want us to pray and um, I'm going to take seven people, number of completion. 
But if you've got a Jordan River story you'd like to share, brief, clear, concise, where God is the hero, not you, that you think could encourage someone else who's going through their own Jordan River, when I get finished praying, we want to create a space for you to do that. Father, we bless you in this place today. Thank you for another week at Gilgal. Thank you, God, that you're not just concerned about getting us through. You're also concerned about what what we do once we get through. That you're a God who wants us to ring the bell. You're a God who wants us to remember. God, we need to hear stories, real-time stories of your goodness and your faithfulness. How you are still moving, still providing, still healing, still restoring, still reconciling. God, we need to hear those stories today. So we sit in Gilgal today. We're excited to hear stories of your faithfulness by way of encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, you have been faithful to us. And we leave today renewed in our commitment to mark the moments of your faithfulness in our lives. Not to be sentimental but to embolden us to deeper levels of trust and obedience in the bay and beyond. You are sent. God bless you. Have a great day.